Hello, my name is Devin Johnson. I'm a business program manager at Microsoft's legal business operations strategy and modern SELA team. I produce content for the Business of Law podcast, including this episode. This episode, we're speaking with Nikki Shaver, Managing Director of Innovation and Knowledge at Paul Hastings, and Candace Carr, Senior Attorney, Storyteller, Modern SELA at Microsoft. In this episode, we will discuss Legal Tech University. Nikki Shaver is here with us today. She is the Managing Director of Innovation and Knowledge with Paul Hastings, and we're so excited to have her talk to us about her great program that she's running at Paul Hastings, among other things that she's she's doing. Nikki and I met while we were on a panel together uh, talking about legal innovation with Epic, and uh, she reached out to me a couple weeks later, I think, during the spring, Nikki, where you mentioned, you know, hey, let's talk about this great thing I'm doing uh, called Legal Tech University. And I was just inspired by the work you're doing, uh, especially in my space, trying to, you know, think through with, with my colleagues on how to bridge the gaps on legal innovation and knowledge management and was just truly impressed by the program that you're running. So we wanted to talk to you more about that today. So let's start with who you are, Nikki, the, you know, the path to Nikki Shaver at Paul Hastings and what you're doing. Thank you, Candace. Thank you so much for having me on. And um, thank you also for the very kind words up front. Um, so I, I run innovation and knowledge at Paul Hastings, but I actually originally was a practicing lawyer. I studied law and practiced law in Australia uh, and practiced for about nine years in litigation, spe specifically in media law and then moved in in-house, in fact, with media companies. And uh, when we moved to Canada about seven years now, I ended up almost by accident falling into the knowledge management and legal innovation space um, and really loved it and did that in Canada for a number of years. And then this amazing opportunity came up to move to New York and really who doesn't want to live in New York City? So we decided to take up that opportunity and I moved to Paul Hastings where I could run global teams, which really appealed to me, the notion of having people situated across the world um, and just dealing with the different challenges that come up from that sort of internationalism. And so currently my the, the purview of my job involves the knowledge management team. So we have 10 knowledge management attorneys. We call them practice innov oh, wow. innovation and knowledge management attorneys. Yeah, it's quite a team. Um, and then we have our research services group, our resource management group, which is responsible for the online and print collection across the firm, mm -hmm. and our innovative legal solutions group, um, which is a group of legal, well, project managers, actually more technology project managers and business analysts who help us select and implement and pilot new technologies and also develop technologies that meet specific use cases mm -hmm. at the firm. And increasingly, we are also doing a lot of client-facing legal ops consulting. So we effectively now have a function that does that as well. And more broadly, I'm tasked with promoting and driving innovation across the firm and instituting a culture that is open to innovation. That is, there's the investment that Paul Hastings has made into um, this space is pretty impressive. I didn't realize the the large team that you had. I, and I've, I've really actually never heard of a team of KM attorneys, right, being dedicated to 
to that work. So that is particularly impressive to me, uh, having had some background in law firm life as well. Um, today, we're, like, we're going to talk about this particular space because I feel like, Nikki, we could, we could talk for hours about things that the firm is doing, that these various teams are doing, and we might actually have to make space for that. Uh, this is pretty impressive. Today, we're going to talk about Legal Tech University. So I thought, I thought we would start with what the the challenge that you specifically identify because i think this is your baby that uh came out of something you saw and realized that you needed to you know solve a problem for so why don't you tell us about the challenge sure yeah this really is my baby you're right yeah. <laughs> I, i'm so pleased that it came to fruition and it was so successful what happened is that last year when we were onboarding our fall associates I asked them all a question, and at Paul Hastings and, and most other AMLAW 100 firms, there are many fall associates. So we had, you know, close to 100 people um, of whom I had probably 30 in the room in front of me. And I asked them how many of them had taken a course at law school on legal technology or legal innovation or really any course that dealt with the way that legal practice is changing. And of that group, one person put up their hand. And I was, frankly, I was shocked because I think we make an assumption these days, given that there are so many buzzwords, certainly that we hear if we're in this space around innovation. And I think the assumption we make is that over time, as more junior associates come in the door who are more comfortable with technology, change is just naturally going to occur because they will come in the door understanding inherently that technology is a part of legal practice. Mm -hmm. That's not actually the case. Right. Um, and so what I, I dug deeper and I found that about 50% of law schools across the United States now have at least a course available on legal technology or legal innovation, but only 15% of mm -hmm. law students take those courses, which I think is partly because law firms aren't really requiring that as a skill when right. they go out and recruit. So there's no onus on law students to take it and there's no reason why they would necessarily think this was something important while they're at law school unless they're at a school that really prioritizes this. And I know that there are a few that do. Mm -hmm. So I took that information and I thought, you know, this is a problem that doesn't lie just with law schools. It's actually a problem that lies with law firms as well we are not going out to market and saying this is what we need, but in fact, it is what we need. Um, and so I thought the best way of dealing with that is if we work together. So law schools have these offerings and then law firms also take it upon themselves. Um, and I think it goes broader than this. I think it could be corporates and vendors. I think everyone in the industry together really should have some responsibility for this kind of education. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought, what if we instituted a program so that as soon as our associates land, we're teaching them about the ways in which the industry are changing and why that's happening and why it's important. So it's interesting because I remember even coming to Microsoft, right, to to practice law and after leaving a law firm, you think working for this amazing technology company, um, global with global impact that legal innovation or at least some kind of real understanding of the use of technology would have been a prerequisite as well. And I I mean, I think the most important thing for, for legal teams, what, at least the way we think, is 
the legal mind and the ability to analyze and produce, you know, and deliver great legal service, which is definitely our top requirement, of course. But this piece around legal innovation is not so much just understanding, um, you don't have to have an amazing legal background, right? You don't have to have an engineering, sorry, a technical background. You don't have to have an engineering degree. It is about understanding how you can use technology to apply it to the practice of law in, in so many different, different um, ways, regardless of the practice area that you're in. So it's, to me, even that's still a big challenge to take on, Nikki, uh, because it is such, in, it's so ingrained in our culture uh, that that is not something that we have to understand. And so it's, it does, it's not shocking. The numbers aren't shocking because we do suffer from some kind of inertia in the legal industry around, around this. We've, we've made massive improvement, but we have a way to go. So with that in mind, with this he kind of heavy lifting that you, you know, decided to tackle, how did you get started? Um, what kind of how did you how did you design think this out and what kind of team and resources did you have to build in in order to to launch this yeah i mean it was so first of all i just want to say i i agree with you um i think there's no onus on lawyers to ever for example learn to code or mm -hmm. to be computer scientists mm -hmm. but i do think for for people who are entering the profession now it is inevitable that they will have to use some sort of technology to yes. augment their legal practice. And we, I mean, you work with a, a corporate, we are on the other side, we get requests from clients all the time asking us, what technology are we using to streamline practice and make it more efficient? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how are we being innovative? So these young associates will be behind the eight ball unless they are across this in broad in a broad way um, once they start practicing. Yes. So what I what I did was sit down and develop a curriculum that I thought would, you're absolutely right, that I thought would actually initially explain to them why this is critical. Mm -hmm. um, because to me, that's the first step until someone realizes that this is important to them, understands the why of it. They're not going to feel the need to get across it. So that was that was the first part of the curriculum, actually, was um, how is the industry changing and how how are the ways in which the industry changing causing this pressure that makes it necessary for them to understand this kind of thing and to be across it. And so it explores all of the external factors around market change in the legal industry, like ALSPs coming in and taking market share, the big four encroaching upon law firms increasingly, especially in jurisdictions where, you know, alternative business models are now possible. But even in the United States, you know, getting as close to that line as they can, seeing the deregulation that's gradually happening even in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, the ABA model rule 1.1, which was amended in 2012 to require a tech competency, mm -hmm. um, which has now been adopted by 38 states. Um, these are, you know, and the fact, of course, that clients are increasingly requiring this of law firms. Right. Um, all of these and, you know, the entry of new law models, um, the fact that uh, many clients are increasingly insourcing legal work. It mm -hmm. creates a legal market where there's increased competition 
and mm-hmm. there's an increased pressure to keep things lean, to streamline, um, to value price, to right source legal work. Mm-hmm. And the answer to all of that broadly can fall under the umbrella of legal innovation, which means many things, right? It means not just technology, but also the way you leverage people to staff the matter. It means the way you price matters out. Mm-hmm. Um, it means improving processes and eliminating waste in processes, which I think is something that exists in most firms still, um, are just processes that could be streamlined um, and made more efficient. Um, so that's that's where it started. And then the curriculum gradually builds out to go through different types of technologies. Um, and once I had the curriculum um, more or less nutted out in draft mm-hmm. form, um, mm-hmm. I managed to get approval for it, which was fantastic, um, and then entered into discussions with our talent team around how this would be rolled out. And the summer associate program was seen as the obvious pilot program for Legal Tech University. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I had a staff member in London who was very interested in this as well. She comes from a teaching background, actually, in law. And she loved the idea. And for us, I see London almost as our pilot office. It's the office I go to where I need to test something and Mm -hmm. get something going and get a quick success across the board because I view, broadly speaking, the UK as being a market that in terms of legal innovation is a little bit ahead of the mark. Um, And they tend to be, they tend to immediately buy in more to this kind of idea. So we actually developed a separate curriculum for the UK and got it started in London before we even rolled out the summer associate program. So it was quite exciting because we really had it going at the same time in two different locations. Wow. I didn't realize you had taken, you were, it was global. I thought it was US focused, but that is interesting what you said about uh, UK firms. I do notice that too in just, you know, engaging with outside counsel, how that there was this aspect of value add that they had around legal technology and being able to, you know, figure out ways that we could work faster together, uh, leveraging, leveraging some of, you know, our own technology, third party um, technology, pretty, pretty amazing. So, so now you're, you're at the stage where, and who helped, how did you form that curriculum? I mean, you, you talked about the different topics with me just, just a, a minute ago how did you did you have people help you think through the what to teach or was this Nikki coming up with this curriculum on your own that because either way is pretty impressive but it was I mean for the most part I came up with the original program myself with the with a Kathy Goodman who is our practice innovation and knowledge associate in London mm-hmm. doing the London curriculum but she and I brainstormed a lot as we were drafting both both the UK and the US versions of it. Um, both of us have a real passion for an innate interest in the legal technology and legal innovation space. So we read very widely. And I looked to a number of different sources um, and shaped the program accordingly. And of course, it was important to us as well that as we went through the different types of technologies and the different types of innovations, that were significant in the legal industry at the moment, that we also brought it back to how we were using those at Paul Hastings and how they could make use of those themselves in practice. So we really brought it home in that way. And what we then did, in fact, was partner with a vendor 
called Reiter, which is a German company that does, it, it's an expert system tool. Okay. So it's a very advanced workflow automation. You can build little mini apps. The output can be all kinds of things. It can trigger emails. It can um, automate documents. It's a very powerful platform. Mm-hmm. And Brighter came on board and allowed us to use them for prototyping. So in both the UK and the US sessions, um, we had an element of prototyping. In the US, the way that worked, and I love this, was that the session in the middle of the curriculum, and the curriculum was in total seven weeks, with the seventh week being a pitch presentation, effectively a hackathon. Right. So the the course in the middle was a two-hour design thinking session, where all of the summer associates had been tasked with going to speak with a number of the attorneys that they had been working with to understand what their practice pain points were, and to bring to the session a problem that they had identified in practice that they thought was worth solving. And through the design thinking exercise, uh, we got them working in groups. They picked the problem that they wanted to solve for. Um, They thought carefully about why this was a problem, for whom it was a problem, what the needs were in respect of that problem. And they started ideating a solution. Mm -hmm. And then they had some training on Brighter and they had three weeks to work in groups with brighter customer service helping them to develop an actual prototype for their idea in the software that they then pitched to a panel of partners in the last session of the summer um, with three winners then being declared, really merely for point of pride, but it was exciting and really (laughs) fun to see. That is amazing, that is amazing. That is something that, I mean, Seven weeks is 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 quite a bit of time, but it, it I think that's something that you need. But the fact that they weren't just watching, right, to learn or sitting to learn or reading to learn, but also you had them um, design and think through um, the solution and actually build the prototype with support is very exciting. Um, so were they working with mainly kind of low code? solutions that that were easy to kind of manipulate with brighter support or did anyone you know did anyone have to become a very very affluent kind of um engineer <laughs> no there were no engineering skills required that's awesome um, brighter is a is a no code platform so yes. the way it works it's a it's a logic flow it's a decision tree in the background right. so Right. They they use that. But yeah, I that is something that we are, you know, if you think about a department our size as well and kind of the the, the talent skill uh, differentiation, we have a multidiscipline department, uh, but we have quite a few citizen developers who are excited to use the technology. And what we're trying to do is get more people excited about trying to do this very same stuff, right? Not needing to, to know how to code, um, being able to use our Power Automate kind of um, uh, uh, product in order to build flows like the one that you just described. So this is just inspiring and I, um, I'm i excited to share this with, with more people. So was this summer your first or was last summer your first launch? This summer was our first. So we actually okay. just finished up about a month ago, which is really exciting. The UK program is still running. So okay. 
Um, in the UK, they ran about three sessions, including the prototyping session. And yeah. now additional sessions are being rolled out. And in the UK, because it also involved associates at the firm who have a few years of experience under their belt, right. it kind of made sense to stretch it out over right. a longer period. Makes sense. So tell me, because when you started this journey, obviously this was pre-pandemic where you started thinking through this. When the pandemic hit and we realized we were all going virtual, how did that how did that affect your um, program design? It was really interesting, actually, because before the pandemic hit, we were in discussion and really talking about how this would work because we saw the design thinking session as something that ideally would happen in person, but we have summer associates spread across all offices in the state. So would we just offer it in New York? Would we offer it virtually for some people and in person for others? And then the pandemic hit and it was a no-brainer. It was like, well, this must now be virtual, um, which in some ways was probably not a bad thing because it allowed us to really focus in on making the virtual program the best it could be. Yeah. And I will also say that I think like all firms, the summer associate program changed shape a little bit as the summer approached because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, it was abbreviated somewhat. And then there was a almost a more significant need for virtual programming. Mm -hmm. And so I benefited from that in some ways because this program became really front and center and one of the highlights of the summer that was really heavily promoted. So in some ways the program probably got more traction as right. a result of the fact that the summer associate program was entirely virtual. Did you record your program so that you can share it for future, obviously learnings or even to future classes? It has been recorded, but um, I don't I don't know that I would use it in that way necessarily. What we want to do is certainly we will use it again for summer associate programs. Right. Um, but what what I'd love to do is expand on it. And that's really that's the goal. It was extremely well received at the firm. Um, and Candice, I should before I go any further, I will also have to say publicly, thank you so much yeah. to you. Because one of the features of this program, which I think made it really powerful, is that we had many voices speaking throughout it. So it was not just me speaking. We had nice. guest lecturers. Kat Moon came in from Vanderbilt University Law School. She runs the um, program for legal innovation there. Um, we had client voices speaking throughout, talking about how important innovation was to them and what it means to them. Um, and I think that was really persuasive. Awesome. And it was very well received overall. So the idea is to expand it for associates and perhaps partners as well. So lawyers who have more years of experience under their belt. Yes. Um, and then potentially eventually make it also available to clients. That would be, and, and even consider beyond the legal, meaning paralegals, people who are in the space of even program managers who are in the space of doing some of those ma more, man you know, the manual pieces where you know that is where we could be automating and, and cutting out unnecessary steps and enabling us to work faster. And I think this is going to revolutionize if you can get the mass, the, you know, of people at Paul Hastings to take part, even part of the course, um, if not all, the service delivery model that you'll be able to to change uh, for your clients is going to be so impactful. Um, and it's just it's just a great, great story. So tell me of the 
you mentioned three winners. Um, <laughs> are you able to share a little bit of, you know, maybe your favorite, not favorite, because you don't have favorites. They were all amazing, but maybe <laughs> one that you'd like to uh, talk about. Yeah. So what was really interesting, I think, is that in the summer associate program of the eight, sorry, the 12 different groups of eight people that we had, um, probably half of them, the problem that they came forward with was around timekeeping. And I think, you know, all of us know that billing and timekeeping is a pain, but it was really, it really brought it home to me, the degree to which this is immediately, as soon as new junior lawyers walk into the profession, it hits them the extent to which this is problematic and painful to do. Um, so I just raise that because I, I think that's insightful and something that the legal profession should take note of, that it's not, even even with the foreknowledge that this is how legal services still predominantly work, it, 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 com it comes across as something that is onerous and difficult and uncomfortable when new lawyers enter the profession. Um, but I think one of the more interesting ideas was around the capturing of data and really leveraging it to be able to understand, for example, how long on average it should take to do certain tasks, um, which I think that's very powerful across an entire firm from the summer associate perspective it was important to them because they're often told it doesn't matter how long this takes you. But of course, from their perspective, it does, because if it takes them longer than it takes other people on average to do, then they were either going to be viewed negatively um, or if they take too long for something, they may miss out on other opportunities. They just want to understand what's the landscape here and their point was, we have this data already, why not capture it and leverage it so that when you get an assignment, you can really have that at your fingertips. Another one that I thought was very interesting, especially given COVID and remote work, which is mm -hmm. re really where this came up, was the idea of a work allocation system that was not just automated um, and virtual, but also that put some of the control for work allocation in the hands of the associates. Mm. So that rather than partners just saying, you know, I, I choose this associate with these skills to do this work, mm -hmm. an associate could themselves say, these are the types of assignments I'm interested in because this is the path I want my career to take and I need this experience to get there. Mm -hmm. And then it would operate a little bit like an online job board and associates could actually choose some of the work that is posted as available. And I, I love that idea because yes. it kind of democratizes things, right? Yes, yes. And it builds community and um, I gives people a chance to actually exercise the skill that others may not even realize that they, they have to showcase. Right. You know, right. because that's, it, we know how, how, how it typically works. Otherwise, that is... So that's innovation on so many levels, right? It's not just, like you said, innovation is not just about technology. It's about how we think of doing things differently, that kind of growth mindset that we're all trying to challenge ourselves to to do. Those are all really interesting um, uh, practical stuff too. That timekeeping is is really something that has, has not left, you know, in terms of that feeling when you walk in as a new associate, that's definitely 
how I remember it. Um, you get used to it, of course, but if there's a way to do it better, we should always be looking out for it as well. Um, sure. The data piece is really interesting because that's when we talk about innovation now, that is definitely a very, um, it's the favorite, one of the favorite terms about data-driven decision-making. And so hearing our summer associates talk about leveraging data, it makes sense with, with you know, this the, the time that we are in. It, it's so powerful in the knowledge management space too, to understand where are things being kept? How long are we taking to do it? Um, where, you know, what kind of advice are we uh, giving out very frequently? And if we can find data on it and then kind of visualize it, it will help us practice better, make better decisions, faster decisions. Um, and so that data-driven piece is really, really key. Uh, smart, smart people <laughs> all very around. Very smart, very, very smart. Exciting. And I have to say, I agree with you. And data is so key at the moment. But to hear a summer associate, one of them actually said during their pitch, um, we already have the data, we just have to use it. And I yes. thought, wow, you know, we can't, we can't even, that's something we're trying to teach our partners. And here mm -hmm. are our summer associates already coming in, understanding this is brilliant. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is, you know, they will inspire others. And so this is, this is a great way for you to share that um, teaching uh, with even, you know, people who are, who are working there now. So, so what, What's next? Well, first, you mentioned the firm received this well. I'm assuming these awesome summer associates also received it well. What was their response to, to it at the end of the, the session? The feedback was fantastic. Everyone really enjoyed it. Um, we also, we actually had put a system in place as well for certification. So we worked with a company called Credly that mm -hmm. provides di digital badges. Um, oh. that have metadata attached to them so that you only earn the badge um, once you've done what it is that is required in order to earn it. And it has to be quite substantial and quite meaningful. So if you attended, you know, a certain number of the legal tech university sessions mm -hmm. and successfully conducted the prototyping, you would earn this badge that gives you skills in design thinking and prototyping and um, ABA model rule 1.1. And they're then able to add it to their LinkedIn profile. And 93 of the summer associates earned that badge and, and have accepted it. And many have now put it on their LinkedIn profile, which I think is a real testament to the fact that the program was meaningful to them. And yes. from the firm perspective, I will say that um, the UK session, because I think it also included associates who already had some years of experience with practicing, right. some of the prototyping ideas that came out there mm -hmm. have been of such obvious benefit to the firm that we are actually building those out in Brighter to be permanent modules in use at the firm that have yeah. the capability of really saving hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of dollars year on year. So the value has been and will be really quite substantial in a very concrete way, which is really yeah. exciting. Is this um, is this something that, you know, because we, we work in this space now at Microsoft when we think about how we work with our outside counsel, right? And 
the value that we want to see them drive, of course, and, and a value add has, has been this legal innovation piece. But what we're doing, I think, which I love about how we're doing it is partnering with our outside counsel to do so, right? Thinking about doing design thinking together. So what your summer associates did with the with the teams when they went around for those hours and said, what are the pain points that we need to, to do? Our outside counsel is doing that with us or, you know, they, they have a horizontal view of all our practice areas for some of them. So they're able to say, this is an issue here that we could actually scale and fix in both areas. Um, is that something like the one, the prototype that you are going to build out for uh, in the UK model, something like that, where you're going to build it internally, of course, but you is, you know, you can probably, if it's something that you can scale to clients, is that something that you see yourself uh, working towards with, with legal tech or just the innovation culture at Paul Hastings? Oh, absolutely. And I think, as I said in my intro, we've yeah. actually been, we've been scaling that type of work over the past year and it is now proliferated so substantially that we effectively have a, a, a standing function for client consulting in this type of way. Yeah. Um, so we help clients uh, with their evaluation of legal technology to solve internal pain points or match them with legal technology that is on the market or help them map out problems and pain points and identify solutions to those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we could leverage Legal Tech University as an arm of that, which I would love to do, so mm-hmm. that an abbreviated version is available for legal ops or legal staff um, mm-hmm. who can take a few classes and then potentially also be involved in a prototyping session that would give rise to actual solutions that the client could then implement internally to the pain points that had been identified. Exactly, exactly. Just, I see, I can like see it in the future for you, Nikki, where you know, <laughs> associates are interviewing, it's it's your internal team, you know, a client legal team and saying, we've been working on this together for a long time. I, and I think we could do this better. Here's, you know, here's a suggestion, um, or let's design think this through together. So that's really exciting. I see a lot for the future. Is there, um, what what's next for legal tech, like in the immediate future? Because I see a lot happening uh, long-term for you. Are you getting, is this gonna happen next summer? Um, you mentioned that you you might be rolling out to associates, but what's kind of your your timing for the, for the near future? I think the the next iteration of it will be for our fall associates, but also more broadly across associates and other interested attorneys in the US. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really love what you said earlier, Candice, about including paralegals and administrative assistants Mm -hmm. um, and perhaps getting entire teams involved. Yeah. Um, So that's certainly something that we will be rolling out over the next year. and and I would love to chat with you about sort of developing a program that is more client-facing as well and what that might look like and how it would be helpful because I do think that's something that we would really like to be able to offer as well. Mm-hmm. That would be fantastic. I think we should continue this conversation. <laughs> um, we'll have more podcast-worthy ones, but keep partnering uh, with you to talk through. I mean, these are things that I would love to take back to our modern SELA team and, and think through, hey, how can we do this for, you know, we have legal interns, 
Um, I love the certification piece because it's, you know, everyone wants to feel like I worked hard and this was, you know, I can show my work. Uh, that's important. That's, that's, uh, that's how we, that's the world we live in right now. And being able to, to share that on LinkedIn in the virtual space is just really, really a cool way of rewarding people as well for the hard work that they've done. But just the experience I know itself was super rewarding for all your summer associates. And you're going to continue to see, to see the benefits of that um, coming back. Are any of the summer associates coming back to Paul Hastings? Yes. Um, okay. So great. I think most of them are, which is exciting. And one of them reached out to me after the program as well, in fact, and wanted to have continued access to Brighter to be able to continue to prototype. So it's generated some real enthusiasm, which is fantastic. And I think, you know, th the point about where to next with this just comes back to what I said at the beginning, which is to me, positive change in the industry is something that benefits everyone who is in the industry. Yes. Um, you know, the, the if we can augment legal practice with technology in way, ways that reduce the mundane, repetitive work for attorneys, not only does it streamline practice and reduce costs and increase client value, yes. but it also makes lawyers' lives better. So mm -hmm. to the extent that we can all work together in the industry from the client side, from the vendor side, from the law firm side, from the law school side to affect that kind of change, I just think it's beneficial for everyone. So. That, that to me is the real driver behind the program. It's internal to Paul Hastings, but it's actually much broader than that as well. Of course, of course. Um, so lots ahead for you, Nikki. Uh, I do think we might tap you again for another, <laughs> you know, uh, series on just KM in general and just that journey you've been on with knowledge management and how that's evolved. But this is part of the knowledge management journey that you you are finding ways to in, in itself be innovative around and we are so thankful for you passing on some of this knowledge to us and, and just like you're thriving in this idea but now you know this is something that i think many law firms uh should take interest in legal departments as well we suffer from the same uh issues in-house as well so this is just just really great sharing. And so thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy. Thank you for what you're doing um, for the future generation of, of, of legal professionals and just really helping the practice evolve into something better. And we hope to see more of you and what you're doing and, and hear from you more soon. Thank you so much, Candice. It was such a pleasure being on. Always good talking with you, Nikki. Thanks for your time.